Welcome, listeners, to Thorns Have Roses podcast. I'm Christina Lee. And I'm Anurag Papolo. Okay, so what are we going to be talking about today? We are going to be talking about the social credit system in China. And also similar systems that exist in the West. Right. So we wanted to take a closer look at the surveillance in China, or as it's termed, social credit system, what it actually is and how it functions. So in order to do that, we sought out the help of someone who wrote one of the most comprehensive papers examining the system in China. His name is Xin Dai, and he studied at the University of Chicago Law School and is now a professor at Peking University in Beijing. And he spoke to us about what this whole system is and how it got implemented. So first, to provide some context, I think we should make it clear right off the bat that the social credit system isn't exactly the best translation from what it is in Chinese. What do you mean? What's wrong with the term social credit? Well, okay, so the way it's been translated in English, it makes it seem like it's uh, related to the credit score system in the Western world. So it feels like it's very much about like a person's individual mm. score. But if you look at the Chinese phrase, the first yeah. part, social, it's more related to society. So I think a better translation would be societal versus social, because social makes it seem like it's uh, interpersonal or, you know, about right. social standards. Um, with individual scores that are used to punish people or, you know, infringe on people's privacy. And by societal, do you mean like it's a score for the whole society? All right. So actually, if we look at the second part, credit, mm. that's not exactly the right word either, because the Chinese word that is used is more related to trust. So mm. if you look at it from that way, it's more about societal trust, right? It's a way to foster trust and confidence within a society. Right, right. So then then looking at what, like the term social credit and then looking at the term societal trust, it sounds like, yeah, it, it's basically some kind of like trust building mechanism more than scores which are assigned to people. Yes, exactly. So when you have it translated to social credit system in English, it really kind of limits what it actually is, you know, it makes it seem like far more sinister than it is in reality. Like, I guess it, it would be like a much more vague, general, milder term in Chinese. Yeah, yeah. It, it should be like expanding more to society at large versus like how it's usually seen in Western media. You know, I think this very simplistic translation to social credit. It plays into the Western perception of China as this very Orwellian and dystopian place where, you know, the government is trying to exert control on every part of a person's life. You know, it, it makes it feel like it's a very black mirror type of situation. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's actually one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode is because I saw it in the news five, six years ago, and it was like black mirror. And I'm like, the whole country cannot live like this. People will be mad. You're wondering, like, how can people possibly accept this? Yeah, it seems too oppressive for, like, anybody to live under. So I wonder if what they're saying is true. Uh, and also, it seems, like, very advanced, right? Like, Black Mirror is set usually, like, at least, like, a few decades in the future. And if this Chinese government is able to, like, implement that level of technology, like, six years ago, that means we are doing something really wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that our TV shows are literally showing the future, but, like, it happened six years ago in China. Mm -hmm. So it didn't make any sense. And I guess the other thing was, when I first came to the U.S., I went to open a bank account. And 
the lady at the bank was like, do you want a credit card? And I was like, no, I don't want a credit card. Like this debit card that I have with my checking account is like fine. And she was like, no, no, you need to get a credit card because you can build your credit. And <laughs> and then I, and then I'm like, is she just trying to like sell me this credit card because like she can get some commission or something? Mm-hmm. Or like, do I actually need it? Mm-hmm. And then obviously later I got to... You know, like I want to rent a house. People are asking me for it. I'm applying for a job. People are asking me for it. So it, it is actually important. And I also know the reason why it is important. It, it's because companies and people like need to know your track record of managing your money. They're kind of looking at my financial reputation. Like that's mm-hmm. basically what this credit score is. Mm-hmm. And so when I, when I read the news about what's ha- happening in China, the first thing I thought about was credit score and <laughs> because you know somebody else is like giving me scores for something right right it's out of your control yeah 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 and so that's the first thing i thought of but then in the news everyone's talking about like how bad this thing in china is and everyone seems very comfortable with this idea of credit score mm-hmm. so i'm like what is this disconnect going on here and that's uh one of the main reasons I want to talk about it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of misconception going around about how how the system actually works in China. There's a reason for it to exist. What what were your thoughts about the system? I, I feel like it's blown up more in the Western world than in the Chinese speaking world. Right. Uh, it, it's not something that people are going around being like, oh no, like this terrible thing is being implemented because of how society is structured there. There's kind of like this inherent understanding that there will be measures put in place in order to build trust uh, among other citizens and like make sure that you are being protected by other people, by businesses, by the government. It's like, it's not something that is like seeping into daily life in the way it, right. it, it's portrayed. It, it's like being described in the media as like something that the score like affects everything in your life or, or like it restricts you from mm-hmm. doing certain things, but it's definitely not like that. There seemed to be this disconnect between what the press in the West is saying, and just common sense, uh, we decided to really look into it and see exactly like what is this policy? Where did it come from? How are they being implemented? So what I learned is this system, unsurprisingly, was uh, inspired by the credit scoring system in the US. Because China, when it was liberalizing its economy, it wanted to do it. But once it started doing it, there was a lot of like fraud and a lot more room for corruption to occur. It was all like very chaotic because mm-hmm. they didn't have all the infrastructures and the and a hundred year old like history of laws like controlling how commerce should take place in a liberalized society. It's like it was expanding faster than it could keep up with. So things are going out of control, right? Like people were getting scammed, and this is how it is in many developing countries, like even now, where the systems are not there. The government was like okay, we need some kind of information that tells us and tells others who is reliable and who is not when it comes to doing business. So that's when they started thinking about it. Well, it seems like this would just be a natural step for any government to take. Exactly. Yes. And they started to take that natural step. It was difficult to implement it like right at the first go because in China, you have like big banks, you have small banks, you have all these. So it was very difficult to kind of compile all that information into any single database. So they tried uh bringing private players into it, uh, but everybody else ended up having just their own partial databases and stuff. So finally, in 2014, once, you know, like the technology kind of 
got to a part where it was possible to kind of collect large amounts of information and put it in a database and be useful was when they were like, okay, let's do the social credit system, or as you said, societal trust system. And the reason they wanted to move it beyond credit, which is like strictly financial information, is because it's like, you know, we have the technology and why should it be only restricted to money? Because being in society involves many other things, not just money. From looking into this, what I realized is there are some things that I think a lot of people would like to have over here. Something that actually struck me about Sheen Dai's paper in particular is that this was the first time that I stumbled upon the phrase reputation system, right. and I had never heard that term used before to describe these types of surveillance or credit systems before. But I think it really kind of reconfigured my lens and my perspective on all this because it goes beyond just credit or the financial aspect of it. You know, reputation, it kind of alludes to looking at people's behavior in order to gather some information about them and then use that to predict what their future actions would be. Yeah. And so we're seeing that playing out in the US even, and that's very widespread, you know, with like Uber and Amazon and Facebook. Basically, every big corporation on the internet has a reputation system that does most of the work for it. Yes, yeah. Right? With these kind of reputation systems, it can easily be propped up by everyone in society because everyone participates it and provides feedback loops. Yes, yes. And yeah, it was really great that he used that term because before he used it, I was like, you know, am I the one who's like crazy to think that these systems that we that we have that we use every day like you rate your cab driver that guy rates me uh, you rate the restaurant that you go and eat at and if, if you want to like go somewhere you check google reviews if you want to buy something you see amazon reviews and we use all these systems but for some reason no one talks about this and the social credit system they, they don't talk about like being the same thing so i was really confused but when he used the term reputation system suddenly all of it made sense it's just that mm -hmm. over there, the government is trying to partner with private organizations to build a reputation system and improve its own governance, just the way Google and Amazon and Yelp and Uber are using reputation systems to improve the functioning of their owner, where, mm -hmm. you know, the customers kind of do this kind of self-regulation and get more information about each other and then... It, it kind of just works better. Right. So we have the NDRC in China, which is the National Development and Reform Commission, which is one of the top policymaking bodies in the country. Um, they were the ones who came up with this idea. So they had told corporations and other levels of government and local governments that they wanted to do things a certain way. So they came up with um, these systems that would collect information from companies and uh, people in local areas and then use that to inform how they would provide services. And the idea being that you can make better decisions if you have a certain amount of information available. So it's like you can make better decisions if you have a certain amount of information. In the West, that would be a big part of that would be credit score and credit information. And so they're trying to do the same thing for, you know, they're trying to do the same thing in China. If the government does something wrong, if they like unfairly penalize you, what can you do about it? And so these kinds of issues did happen in China. Those are the ones you see reported in the news. And, and so there are systems for redressal. You can file a complaint saying this is not 
true because of so and so and many times it's because the government has like incomplete data or you know that just the technology doesn't work well so you can file a complaint with the government and they'll look into it and they're like however they penalized you they'll like take it back or they have a right to credit restoration yeah so they do have systems in place to manage this because again the government is it still has to do governance so its job is not solely pissing off its people it still has to do a good job of managing these systems so we wanted to have this interview with shindai in order to break down the system in china um demystify it a bit uh, away from western point of view mm-hmm. given that shindai is a chinese person who has studied this both in the us and in china so he mm-hmm. has a much clearer and unbiased view of how all this functions and why it exists why it was created and how it has expanded into a larger reputation system yeah. and how they're using that to improve governance in the country so here shindai as we promised he's somebody who actually knows what he's talking about The reason I got into the research or the study of uh, social credit system project is the topic I had in mind uh, was really a study of the online reputation systems or online review systems you know primarily operated by platform companies both in China and also in US right the, the large ones Amazon so I was trying to explore how they supplement you know the laws or even operate as law themselves so i think that was around uh, 2014 or 2015 i happened to come across something uh, in my own country while i was in the states doing the research but then i happened to realize okay social credit system project at least you know according to the description uh, or the narratives provided by the government agencies or government authority that are planning and designing also implementing it uh resembles what was taking place in the marketplace or commercial areas which is now we have a system aggregating all the kind of information about behaviors but then that's in a more exciting area which is law and government government and also regulation and then i i went back to china to do more peer study about what's going on you know what the government authorities at different levels the central level national level and also the local levels are doing what are the interesting variations and basically how this experimentation you know started out scattered in places but then eventually starting to uh, you know forming into a general paradigm right yeah the the way i i started thinking about this was when i first heard of the credit score system in the us so i am from india and we usually don't talk about we don't have such a strong standardized you know like nationwide system so when i came here i'm like this sounds like something that's like beyond most people's control but it kind of dictates their lives in like a very serious way you kind of put all these under the reputation system right like you have credit systems you have what the government is doing and you have social media and e-commerce companies and it's it's kind of actually much bigger than it seems like it's not actually something that's just happening in china it's happening everywhere and you know it looks like with big data like how do governments use this like this is one of the ways they found so the social credit system in china when western people think about it uh, or when you see the media talking about it it's assumed that china is an authoritarian government so they built a system to be more authoritarian and have more control but you know that's not true so how how would you define uh, 
the system in China? The definition part is is very hard. <laughs> you know, I I agree with you. The observation that、um, the way I look into this problem, the this、uh, project is really that I try to. Fit it into a larger context, which is global context, right? So this is happening everywhere in the world,、uh, and because of the increasing availability of this data technology, right? So there's no reason why these technology wouldn't become used first in commerce, but then in the government, right? So I think I I do see this happening everywhere. So that's why I try to say,、uh, look, you know, if you think this is so idiosyncratic about China, and then that you are really missing, you know, what's going on elsewhere and in other countries. To very loosely define. I would just say the social credit system is is basically the data driven reform of a government system in China. Because initially in 2014, what the government had in mind, or even earlier, what they were thinking is to、uh, basically promote the use of credit you know, or behavioral tracking information, so as to improve the performance of not only the government but also primarily the market and also other areas of social transactions. If they have More information about the counterparty they're dealing with. If we know more about them, if we know what they did before, if we know, if then based on that knowledge, we will be able to better predict what they will behave in the future. Then you know you will have a better way in terms of allocating the scarce resources. And also,、um, you have, for example, in in the Chinese context, for example,、uh, poverty relief. That's a big thing, right? So, you know, the government has been spending all this money on there, and there's has been all these kind of complaints about waste, right? So, you're not spending、uh, the relief money well on those people who really need it. If people、uh, st- started to realize, okay, the decision makers are relying on these、uh, behavioral tracking information to make forward-looking decisions. Then they may adjust their behaviors, right? If the government is only allocating uh, their uh, public funds resources on those they find or evaluate as trustworthy based on the behavioral tracking information, then you know the people will have an interest in knowing, okay, what are the standards? What are the rules? What are the criteria? How can I become evaluated better so that in the future I have a greater opportunity or chance of getting those resources? So the government realizes, okay, now. You know we are doing all this complicated stuff, and we need information. Also, we are accruing all this information scattered here and there in different agencies. So we need to first establish a record system, also make them computerized, right? Because that's the way you really could store a lot of information. So starting 1980, late 1980s, the government tried to unveil this,、uh, you know, computerization process. And then in the start of、uh, 21st century, first 10 years, so the next step will be、uh, link them together, right? To、so、make them network. And then in the、uh, 2010s, right? So that's the the most recent decade. Because in the in the market now in China you have all these very powerful platform companies seemingly doing great work and also being super efficient. So the government started questioning: Okay, can we just do the same kind of thing they do? If they are so efficient, why can't we just emulate? You know the way they function. So. Then the the next step will be the platformization of government work, and also on the other way, there may be the idea that the more information about behavioral tracking or、uh, more surveillance information is available, the government can do more in terms of allocating resources、uh, more efficiently or regulate or incentivize people for compliance more efficiently. So so that's how I see it. Let's talk about some examples of what reputation systems are. So we see reputation systems in like the private sphere. So in the U.S., I think people will relate a lot to Yelp, 
or like Google reviews. Yeah. Th- these are the most ubiquitous yeah. versions of reputation systems that you see where you go somewhere, you have a good or bad experience, and then you give somebody a rating. And other people can see what that rating is. And you see it in Amazon, eBay. Uh, it's all over the internet. You see it in Uber or in food delivery apps. You you rate the person who delivered your food. You rate the restaurant. And the person who delivered your food or the cab driver will rate you. And as you said, this is all being fed into like a system. And the companies make decisions based on that. And other consumers make decisions based on that. Can you talk about other kinds of reputation systems? So uh, credit rating and scoring is also a reputation system, right? So can you talk about how that would work? First of all, you know, all these reputation systems emerge in the US internet or a platform economy. That's a really powerful and also interesting idea, but they're not necessarily unprecedented or never happened in human history, right? So for example, the credit reporting industry, their emergence and development in, in North America, it just started out you know, word of mouth, right? So since we're exchanging all this information, people are just talking about, why don't I just, you know, write them down? So that's the the, the very start of, uh, you know, prototype of the current credit reporting industry. And then these people become specialized. Uh, they set up the, the more kind of specialized shops, right? So you come in and then you want to check somebody's credit information, you know, but, but those might be just stories about them and nothing like the structured kind of data that we have nowadays. Or in what sense are they different from the current reporting industry? What, in what sense are they different from, say, Uber system or the uh, Amazon system? I think they're really similar, right? So uh, the only difference is now that you have all these platform companies who have been enabled by this technology of cloud computing and also, you know, algorithmic matching and also this kind of, uh, you know, mobile communication so that more information become aggregated in very short time. If the market can improve their regulation and self-governance through the use of review system, what about government? And, and if you then come back to China's social class system, you see, you know, all these things as well. The ideas being floated and also, you know, the pilot programs have been tried out in different places. For example, letting people to review or give feedbacks of how the, the kind of government service that they receive. So the reason I asked you about the credit system is because it seems like the origins of what we are seeing in China now came from a desire to have something similar to what's already existing in the US. Can you briefly talk about the need for something like that and then how it got expanded into something much bigger? And I think when you're doing that, you can talk about how the term social credit is kind of a limiting definition because the way it's used in China, both those words have much broader meanings. And so you can uh, also talk a little bit about what would be like a better term for it. I think your understanding is correct that, um, you know, indeed, that's actually the, the historical anecdote people have been telling all the time, which is the origin of the idea why China tries to establish a social credit system. Uh, the idea dates all the way back to, you know, still late 1980s, the early 1990s. Uh, at that time, initially, that was related to the, to the need to establish a modern credit market, right? Or, you know, bank lending market, right? So even at the time, most enterprises in China were still uh, state-owned, but then the government tried to start a bank lending market. So the banks need to establish credit records of this different, even all 
you know, state-owned companies because the banks, you know, have limited resources. And of course, the, the idea of having this credit system uh, came from the West. Uh, the kind of interesting turn or expand or the, the point where this idea became expanded, right? Uh, in early 1990s, say 93, 94, when you have, you know, the government loosening up, people can do transactions and then you have all these frauds, right? All these fraudsters coming up because there weren't any regulatory system uh, or not ready to deal with all these issues, right? So then the government say, okay, no, we have to deal with that because otherwise, you know, the society went into chaos. Uh, our market is so chaotic, but then in the U.S., it seems much more orderly. You know why? Because they have a credit system. If you have done anything like what people were doing at the time in China, in the U.S., you wouldn't be able to go anywhere. You wouldn't be able to find a job, wouldn't be able to get a loan, wouldn't be able to you know, pay your mortgage. They see, okay, first, we already started to establishing some kind of credit system in the banking areas. And at the time, the idea or the, the term social credit already emerged. The, the better translation would be societal credit, meaning it's not just credit for banking industry, credit for bank loaning, bank borrowing or bank lending, right? So, so it's not just that kind of credit. It's also the credit which has a broader regulatory applications or implications, right? It's really about pe how people deal with each other in the society. Credit in English, in, in the modern days, it has a relatively narrow meaning, which primarily concerns lending and borrowing. That also still also have some kind of uh, credibility, sincerity, trustworthiness. It, it, there, 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 there are these kind of implications, even the, in the English word credit itself. But in Chinese, the corresponding term credit, it really goes beyond the banking or the borrowing context, right? So it's really about, you know, a person's character, the reliability, trustworthiness, all that kind of things, right? So that that's why also the, the social credit or societal credit, the term used at that time uh, was trying to convey, okay, this is great for the society, not just for a small sector of the market, right? So that that so that term already uh, existed in, uh, in the 90s. Uh, but but it, there hasn't been a lot, you know, going on. So I think for about decades, there's mostly uh, local pilots, not systemized. You know, the general public actually understand this term or this concept also in the very broad way, right? So it's really just about uh, using information about previous behavior to decide uh, he's deserved treatment in the market, in the government regulatory context, in the professional or social context. So how does the system exist now? Because when people in the West think about the social credit system, they imagine that there's some big office like CIA and scoring everybody in China. But that, that seems to be the impression. But in reality, it seems like there are small programs that exist separately from each other. And it's actually really disorganized. And it's a big challenge to get it all together. So can you talk about how the system exists now? Uh, I think the major accomplishment is the establishment of increasingly comprehensive database systems on the national level about these so-called public credit information, which are really the government information uh, accrued over the times. And so they become increasingly uh, being put together into one interlinked system. Basically, the Chinese government, this is a regime which is, uh, you know, performance-based legitimacy, meaning it has to be really responsive. The, the government is, they claim it is legitimate that they stay in power 
the only way is to say, okay, what, oh, look, look, whatever you guys want, we deliver to you. You know, I, I think that's actually a critical reason why, you know, we see, you know, this efficacy of governance in China, at least in the, in the most recent three or four decades, or even, even, even longer. So then that actually goes to other areas, for example, environmental pollution. But what about if you don't deal with the pollution, but then you lose eligibility for future government projects, for future tax relief so, uh, or tax incentives, just because, you know, your, what you have done in the environmental uh, scenario, say, no, these are, you know, not, uh, not the same thing. You shouldn't be interlinked. No, the, the idea is really just to link them together so, as, so that you feel, um, you feel the incentives. The government seems like it's trying to address problems that actually a lot of developing countries face. Uh, the state cannot be everywhere, you know, even in China, it cannot be everywhere and it can't look at everything and it cannot control everything through like laws and regulations. So you use the reputation system to self-regulate, as you've mentioned earlier. So can you talk a little bit about how part of the reason for building the system is to make up for failures in governance that the government actually gets criticized for. The government gets criticized that it's not a, being able to do its job. So they hope that having this reputation system can do some of that work yeah, for them. That's way more powerful than, uh, you know, incentive on people to behave well, because you might not necessarily worry about the government because it cannot be everywhere, but everywhere you have to deal with someone. Someone might, that someone might go up online or to some system check, oh, you're not credible so or reliable. The Chinese system or the government really, they're interested in just trying out everything. You know, that position works, right? Of course, as the you know, market economy becomes uh, increasingly complicated, of course, you have all these regulatory irregularities and also new problems come out just, uh, you know, on a daily basis. And also, I wouldn't say, you know, the Chinese government didn't really take a page from what other countries have done. Uh, because, you know, the U.S. government, for example, they have uh, been using these technologies for so such a long time, way before the Chinese government really have invested so much, you know, in this. It's really just, you know, the U.S. government never say, oh, look, you know, we're <laughs> setting up anything called a social credit system. It could call a lot of things, right? So after 911, for example, uh, you know, you have all this, you know, for example, you might have heard about this, uh, you know, fusion centers of data, you know, which means the kind of infrastructure that would be able to connect or mingle, you know, data from different uh, federal agencies so that, you know, you know, you combine these data and for surveillance purposes, for example, to identify risk factors or terrorists attack threats or stuff like that, right? So, the, so I, I'm pretty sure, you know, basically based on my understanding of how the Chinese government decision-making governance works, they think, you know, okay, with this technology, we can regulate more things, but, you know, more conveniently and less costly, right? If you have information, information is so powerful, they will be able to change behavior. That would actually improve our governance capability. Right. In the U.S., I think people think, yeah, the, you know, the NSA and the CIA collect all the information there is, but they kind of don't do anything with it. <laughs> Only if, like, you know, if somebody is already tracking you or something for whatever reason because you're a target for law enforcement, then then they look at you. Otherwise, you don't have to worry about it. But in China, that I guess the difference is, yes, they're collecting all this information, but they're trying to put it to some use. So this is maybe a little bit off topic, but if you look at the surveillance practice in the, uh, you know, during the COVID-19 pandemic, there is controversy about, for example, whether a government has 
utilize the surveillance information for uh, contact tracing purposes. But there, there really isn't debate about whether the government should do it, right? So they collected all the intimate, you know, information. They're supposed to keep them confidential, but then they somehow distributed it on social media, and people, uh, you know, get me very embarrassed or even, you know, being publicly shamed. But in the first place, if you want to collect that information, nobody will object, right? So that that might be a little bit different from the U.S., where people have a strong sense of uh, resisting collection in the first place. So since you did the study, have there been any like systematic studies about uh, whether these systems are working or not? Because in the paper, you do mention that there hasn't been. So we actually don't know. Uh, so indeed, there hasn't really been a lot of uh, systematic study because the information has not been, uh, you know, really kind of available. First, uh, there has been a scoring system for for enterprises, for business. This is only because there there was no uh, market. At the time, there was no market credit score for enterprises. So the government has to step in to say, look, look we uh, set, set up something and you can use it. The more controversial ones are the local credit score scoring regimes for individual citizens. So that exists in cities, for example, in Suzhou, in Fuzhou, in Hangzhou, so mostly also the East, East Coast uh, cities. So, of course, initially there has been this idea, you know, to use these scores to incentivize individual behavior, both incentivizing them both by, you know, reward mechanism and also by penalty mechanism. But then, you know, everybody realized, okay, if you use this score for, uh, you know, penalties, right? So then that, that really carries a very negative connotation. And also, it's very hard from the, uh, you know, government's perspective, it's really hard to design a new set of rules to, you know, assign scores so that people will understand or really appreciate, okay, low score really mean this person needs some kind of negative uh, incentive. But the scoring system can only be used for positive rewards. See, so here, you know, what they, they're saying is, look, we only use scores to allocate scarce public resources more smartly. For example, if you have a higher score, so initially there are some really kind of tedious public benefits. Say if you go to a public library to borrow books, you don't need to pay a deposit if you have a good score because we think you're trustworthy, right? Some places say, look, if you have the score, uh, you may be able to uh, use public transportation without first paying it. I think these are really kind of uh, useless kind of things, right? Nobody really care about them. You can say, oh, no, even if you don't have a high score, it doesn't really affect you. It's really just that you don't have, get the benefits. Uh, you're not being penalized. But if everybody else is getting the be- the benefit and then you're not, then actually you're you are actually being penalized. So that's I think the superficial part of it. From what it's like now, where do you think it's going to go in the next few years? Like you said, you know, I wasn't aware of the fact that the NDRC said no penalties. Like you can only do it on the positive side, but not like take things away from you. I, I think the thing that scares Westerners the most is like, you know, if you litter somewhere, then like you lose some points and then you can't like get on a flight and your face appears on the billboard or something. But what you said is they're not focusing on that anymore. Well, you can't get on a flight or check in a hotel or send your kids to expensive private schools if you are a bad credit in terms of you have defaulted on your judicial obligation. So that's still true. That's still there. Going forward, where do you think? What's the direction the system is taking now? Are you going to say more restrictions uh, on the individuals being uh, tied to this information? 
I, I think very unlikely. So the entire you know idea of having this system, I think primarily they concern business enterprises, and at least at this point, I think it, it has been proven uh, to be useful mostly as a regulatory tool against corporations and entities. Uh, in political speaking, NDRC or other agencies involved in doing this. I mean, they're sophisticated, you know, they don't really want to, you know, do something, get super controversial, and then, you know, there's a public outcry. So politically, I don't think that's a popular thing to do something that people have already realized that might be troublesome. And it's a waste of resources, right? If it's not working well. Yeah. Yes, that's not, that's not the way politics work in China. But I think what's going to happen is the, the data system will be more powerful, and they will be more interlinked, they will, they will become more streamlined. It would really take a lot of time, a lot of a political kind of maneuvering to really push uh, these ministries to to share information or to really kind of constantly share or then eventually merge them together. So that's the same situation actually in the U.S. federal government. So what I understand is, of course, you do have um, this Patriot Act mandate for this kind of, uh, um, you know, interagency sharing. But, you know, there are lots of resistance internally between these agencies. So I think, you know, where it goes uh, is technologically, yes, you know, I think uh, the infrastructure will be coming together relatively soon. So I think next step will be you have infrastructure, but then there are a lot of uh, mechanism design work to do both at a central level and also at the uh, local level to sort out all these questions. Like another reason I really want to focus on something like this is because I feel like the way we talk about it, and if we point the finger at China and just go on and on about like, oh, how uh, oppressive or dystopian this all is, it kind of detracts us from speaking about it from a more intelligent point of view, trying to see the similarities between China and the US and surveillance type systems in other parts of the world and talk about the more serious consequences that we share in common. So even Shinda is not sure about like where all this is going to go. But what he can tell us is that some of these methods will be used in other countries also. But uh, I really think like it's worth talking about this because I guess the point is if we don't treat China's government as incompetent authoritarians who like mindlessly want to oppress their people, then maybe we can improve like our own systems and the way our own systems work. But we can like objectively look at them and see what works, what doesn't work. And if you see it coming our way in the West, then you can do something about it. <laughs>